This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, hello, everyone, and um, I'm really looking forward to today because it's a spin-off, to say whatever it is, but it's a spin-off of what we started last week, and we were talking about editing. I'm a big believer in ruthless editing, um, and I'm a, a huge proponent to to tell you that you are not the editor. You are the first round of editing to start the ruthless editing, but this is when you have to bring in other people, other eyes, fresh eyes, and people who understand professionals that have been editing your genre for a good deal of time. It's not a hobby. This is what they do. So with that said, that I always like to do uh, a lead with um, something from my book, Snappy Sassy Salty Success. I have said this quote many, many times, and it absolutely ties in to um, uh, your success as an author. And it's this, don't do well what you have no business doing. So I want you to do editing on your own, you know, so get rid of the stuff, you know, get rid of things that don't move your story forward. But this is then where you bring other other people who are really the detailers, the fine tuners um, to really make you shine. With me again this week is Barb Wilson. She's the founding partner in um, um, editpartner.com where you can find her. And we left last week uh, really just talking about uh, a variety of things that are going on, but we were going to kiss on the different types of editing and then take it from there. So, Barb, welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me, Judith. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I love your definition from sniff, snappy, sassy, salty today. I'm going to add my traditional editor joke. Yes, editors make jokes, even though we're generally seen as grim, humorless people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, do you know what editors call English teachers? They call them English teachers because they're not editors. Oh, I you know cannot... what? I am so glad you <laughs> said that. <laughs> Well, thank you. I'm sure the English teachers out there aren't, but <clears throat> why well, are you glad that I said that? I have to ask. No, because I have had several people say over the years, you know, the 40 years I've been publishing myself, um, which, you know, the first 20, um, I, I didn't know I could hire my own outside editor, you know, because I was publishing where just with the New York houses then and they did it. So, uh, you know, that was their job. Um, 
but to actually bring into play. And you know what happened, Barb, with the evolution that started with the changes in the royalty structures that happened in in the year 2000 when they literally, where a lot of authors had no idea, but they cut royalty p- being paid in half net to you oh. instead of gross. That's what it used to be. Um, um, authors used to get paid via New York uh, a percent based on the gross retail. Um, and it, I, I believe it was Simon and Schuster, I was publishing with them at the time, led the way that just they halved it and said, no, it's net, which is what they sell it oh. to the wholesalers for. Dramatic decrease. It was a dramatic decrease in that going on. Um, and that's when I really started learning the business of publishing. What's it take? What's go into? What are the cost factors um, and all that? And editing is a cost factor. It's an essential cost factor. Um, with that said, and I would have people say, well, you know, I have a good friend who taught English or even it could be my English teacher, you know, my old high school English teacher. She said she'd love to read the book and do the editing. And I'd always say no. Now, I didn't know the rest of your joke. They're English yeah. teachers. <laughs> but oh, my to, gosh, to, to loop back to it. But that that's where that was. Um, in the process. Oh, yeah. and so. People don't understand if it's your first book, if this has been your lifelong dream as yeah. an author, as yeah. a as a budding author, you don't understand the importance of editing. And there are people out there now that it's easier to self-publish and to go on to uh, Kindle Direct and, and get your book out there. And you think, oh, no problem. I wrote a great book. I'm just going to toss it out there. You know, I'll make sure the margins are good and I'll get a pretty picture for the cover from somewhere. And that's a whole other discussion for another day with a different guest, because I'm sure Judith has some people who feel very strongly about that. And there are some uh, guidelines around um, visual marketing that Judith is very good at. And uh, I would encourage people if she uh, has some other shows taped about that, that they would pay attention to that if they're considering publishing their first book. Um, They're just going to toss their book out there and not think that it needs any editing because of course the story is perfect. I like to tell my clients, look, you did the hard work. You sat down and you wrote the book. Okay. Most people never even get that far. It's a dream and they never realize it, but they sat down, they wrote the book And now my job is to take that diamond in the rough and facet it and polish it and put it in the perfect setting and make it as good as it can be. And then it gets put on a website and the marketing program begins. Yeah, you know, one of the comments you shared last week, which I loved, 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 and I have repeated it several times, is that when you're writing, especially your descriptive scenes and you're setting the stage or um, and you referred to and I never thought of myself with this fiction, historical fiction I'm writing now and also my new women's series that I'll be doing under Silver Magnolias that that I'm world building. You're built you're building your fantasy world. I love that. But the thing that you said, try to use three of the five senses in your descriptions. 
And I so loved that, Barb. Oh, thank you. Um, and it's true. Um, Judith and I recently um, shared input on a project, and it was for a client who was going to turn his screenplay into a book, into a fiction title. And I went back to Judith and talked to her about this, and I said, this is going to be a longer than normal edit because a lot of the essential world building elements are not there. They have to be added. Um, there are some things that readers are going to need in order to seat themselves in the story and start caring about the characters. Those things are missing. There's, if you have a dearth of information, if you're missing vital components uh, of a story, and, and I can actually give an example. I had a, a client. This was not someone we worked on together, Judith. This was another client. He, um, he sort of went about things in reverse. He had a screenplay that was and in an idea that was optioned by a Hollywood studio. And he came to me. It's the first time I ever signed a non-disclosure agreement to do an edit. I'm sure that's more common in <laughs> larger works, but I, I had to do that, and I was rather taken aback by it. But yep, it was it was difficult because I looked at the story and I said, "This is written without any direction. This who are these people? What's going on? What's happening? How am I supposed to tie in with this?" Because I can't understand what's happening. There's no background here. This mm. is all immediate visual cues. And he said, well, that's what's happening. And I said, I understand that. And if you had an actor delivering that, you could tell by his walk, his demeanor, his expressions, some of what was happening, the missing elements would at least be able to be guessed. I can't tell anything from this. And frankly, if I were starting to read it, I would have already put it down. Mm. I said, you well, have to remember there's there has to be reader involvement or you've completely failed. You know, Barb, that's it's very similar to uh, another project I did bring to you because it was a full blown rescue that came that was written as a screenplay um, on it. And it was it actually it was horribly boring. There was no setting. There was no staging. We had no idea you know, what the hiccups, what the problems were, what the issues of the players that he was doing this conversion into a novella type of book. So it was, it was, it was quite a project. But with that said, Barb, we, we were, we were really close to our first break here. I want to get the stage set for the different types of editing. So okay. let's, well, let's, most do, let's do a hop. Okay. Um, there's generally three different types of editing. Uh, four, if you include sensitivity editing, which is another two-part series of podcasts oh. that Judith and I did earlier this oh. year. Yeah, you're going to make me gay. Um, okay, all right. I know, but we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> the first one is the hardest one, the longest one. It'll take the most time. It's the most complex, and it's also the most expensive, and that's developmental editing. It's sometimes referred to as content editing, because what you're doing is you are taking the story and you are strengthening it. You're developing the manuscript between the original draft that you get given from the author 
and you're making the manuscript ready for copy editing, proofreading, and ultimate publication. All right. With that copy said, editing. Yeah. Wait a minute. With that said, we're going to take our first break. So everyone, okay. number one is the development content. This is the heavy duty one. We'll be right back. This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Is there a book in you? Or another? Author You shows you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being hoodwinked. If you already have a book out, you will find a supportive and brainstorming community that is connected and creative no matter where you live. Author You brings in national experts for its book camps and annual Author You Extravaganza. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through Author You's extensive network, Members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publishing. AuthorU is the premier authoring resource in the country, creating community, education, guidance, vision, and success for the serious author. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, AuthorU is for you. Timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted on its social media platforms. And it is free. Discover Author You, where authors go to become seriously successful. Join Author You today at authoru.org. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book. If you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. All right, so we're talking editing. With me is Barb Wilson, who is, disclaimer, she is one of my editors who works on my books, as well as um, I refer most of my fiction um, authors to her for the round after I get done with a lot of the content development. Um, it's her turn to whack it. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and take Okay. Over. All right. So with that said, that Barb mentioned that there were three um, uh, main editing factors. We will kiss on the fourth, which is the sensitivity editing, and I have comments to add to that. But um, development and content, heavy lifting. This is where, you know, that sometimes we have to say to an author that, you know, you have a great idea and you're, you're uh, you know, you really do have a good idea here, but you're, I've said it, you're a sucky writer. So what we have to do is to work on bringing your words alive and shine. So that's what the development content will do. Sometimes people really are great writers. They're quite good 
and it's really pretty tight when we get it, and that's always a happy dance. But most times it's rough, especially with newbie authors, the beginning author. They really, you know, they're they're gonna they're into a giant learning curve in writing and and how to become a better storyteller. Is that safe to say, Barb? Oh, that is so perfect. That is so on point. And uh, may I add an aside to that? People Mm -hmm. who write as a component of their daily job are Mm -hmm. often the ones who are most taken aback when you tell them that they need an editor and they need one very badly. Uh, I can think of two perfect examples. One is a, uh, an attorney. It was actually one of the um, edits I did when I first got into editing years and years and years ago. Very good attorney. He wrote like one. Uh, everything was factual and documented and just as it should be. And it was virtually devoid of any uh, content involving senses or emotions or yeah. thoughts and imagination and the plot was as dry as a piece of unbuttered toast and I said we've got to jazz this up yeah so academic (laughs) academic technical writing um all is it can fall claim to being boring is watching toast toast so so um or, or as yeah, I say, mud develop or grass grow. All of them fall in the same category. Exactly. And that was my second example. I had a PhD who wrote textbooks for Caltech. Uh-huh. Oh, Lord and Lord. he was a scientist and he wrote um, cozy mysteries. And <laughs> his, he, he literally wrote them from the point of He came home, he put the keys on the counter, he turned around, he locked the door, he picked the keys up, he put them in his pocket, because he was very used to documenting and describing and creating steps of a process. And I said, okay, we need to talk about that, because there are some things that are going to happen that your readers understand that they happen because they go through them every day. You don't need to include all of those steps. You know, the phrase that's coming into my mind when you were just describing him. And, and, hey, and I love the idea that he came home and wanted to write cozy mysteries. I really do love that idea. Um, oh, he's good but, at it, too. I mean, his mysteries are great. Yeah, but, but it also, uh, when people take on that, the factual writing type thing, um, it's like being an expert witness in court. You, you just, yes. just just the facts, ma'am. Don't no de- don't get, don't get into the details. Don't you don't tell about the emotions. It's just he shot her, or you know, or he he yes. stole the money. That's all you you know that kind of thing. The evidence shows. But um, unfortunately, with uh, that type of factual writing, uh, with an end goal as a cozy mystery, which does mm-hmm. have elements of suspense in it. When you omit something like he dropped the gun in the flower pot by the fireplace and left the room, it immediately triggers the reader to say, okay, what did he do with the gun? Because he's told you what he does with every other possession he has in his hands. That's a gap right there. Okay, I think he's the one that did it kind of thing. And it's, I'm like, you have to soften what you're doing and you have to 
you have to put in senses and you have to include things like the car window was down and he could smell summer on the wind because it was warming up and the flowers are blooming and it smelled green and the lawns around his house were lush and they needed mowing. And you have to make this person human, give them quirks. Oh yeah. Or, and, or as he dug into the flower pot to bury the gun, you could, you, you could smell the newly fertilized dirt. I mean, just take me there. So yes, let me feel that muddy, gritty yeah. dirt. Oh yeah. Ooh. Which I love, you know, I love digging into dirt. Okay. So the first one is that developmental um, uh, content that, that brings it alive, that brings yes, it alive. And this, this can include things like pacing concerns. Are, are you skipping steps that do need to be told? Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking technical writing here. I'm not talking one, two, three, four, five, but I've had manuscripts submitted to me again, not from you, Judith, but that immediately started with a bang And I had no idea what was going on. By page 10, I was completely lost. Who are these people? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. It's like, no, your reader is going to be very quick to say, bing, I'm not reading this one. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there plot holes in what you're trying to tell? And that doesn't totally mean suspense or any type of thriller action. That means a plot hole. Like, okay, what did you leave out? And it can be something that's disclosed in the final scene, but then you've got to have foreshadowing that leads up to that. That's okay. There's something coming here that we don't know. And I can't wait to find out what it is. Otherwise no one is going to care about your characters. Uh, if you're writing in a genre, know the rules of that genre. Judith mentioned world building earlier, and that's a big one. If you're writing sci-fi, paranormal, urban fantasy, you may, and well, and just flat fantasy too. You have to describe a world in such a way that you're creating and the readers of your books understand and see and sense and feel that world. They know what it's like to live in that world. Um, I'll use an example here, Outlander. I know a lot of people watch that series. When she wrote those books, those books were hugely long they're about a thousand pages each yep they are she she described that world down to the leaves on the trees and the moss under your feet and what it smelled like and the differences and she does a scene where she uh goes back to find jamie in 17th century scotland i think it was scotland at that time that uh, was the first time she went back after she returned to her own world. And she describes sitting on a curb and she pulls a peanut butter and jelly sandwich out of her pocket and eats it. And it's wrapped in saran. And she watches the saran that she discarded, shame on her littering, and it blows across the cobblestones. And she describes it as something that is so anachronistic for that world. And it's so odd to see this thing that won't even be invented for hundreds of years blowing in a little bundle of discarded saran across the cobblestones smeared with horse poop and the beer and spittle (laughs) and urine. And that, I haven't reread that book in years. And that scene stayed in my head because she described it so perfectly. 
She world built that scene. She imagined that scene, but she described it in such a thorough, intensive, encompassing way that I remembered it. And that's what editorial excellence will help you achieve. You find the right editor and they will say, hey, this needs to be in there so the readers can go in and identify with what you're trying to do and the characters you're creating. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have characterization issues, uh, there are a number of tools available on the internet. Go out and find a character worksheet and start documenting all the traits and the, the senses and the quirks about those characters so that you know those characters before you start writing about them. Uh, if they have a weird fear of tabby cats, not black cats, but tabby cats. Well, that's unusual. Most people don't really like black cats, but this character fears tabby cats. And a new neighbor moves in next to him, and what does she do? She rescues tabby cats, that kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. it's very unusual. It's quirky. I have a dear editor friend, and she also writes cozy mysteries. She's done about 38 or 39 of them. And she says she creates character sketches and backgrounds so complete for each of the characters in her series and in her standalone titles that she knows what the contents of the junk drawer in their kitchen is. Oh, I think that's perfect. Oh, she knows that character. And when she is writing, she is that character because Mm -hmm. she responds as that character. She says as that character, she speaks as that character, her words belong to that character. And her writing is amazing. I, I will say this. She is also a professional editor. She does not edit her own work. Generally, I edit it for her. But we do a trade back and forth. She edits my stuff. I edit hers. And it's a trust. You have to have that with the editor you select. You have to have a good working relationship. Judith and I have worked together for almost 10 years now. Um, and believe it, it has been that long, Judith. I looked at the calendar the other day. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I, I will tell you, um, I have had the opportunity to work with some incredibly interesting people, not the least of which is Judith, because she is very, very good at her writing. Um, but how long have you been at it, Judith? 40 years. You know, practice makes perfect. Yeah, practice makes perfect. Well- yeah, and I think so. Um, and I've always told the story, and we're, we're a minute away from our, our next break, and I want to get into the next type of editing. But the um, uh, I remember flying back to New York to be on Good Morning America with my first book, and I'm reading my book, and I'm going, oh, my God, why did I write it this way? I mean, you're already shredding, and I think what what's really important to understand, and we'll come back to this, that there is there at some point you have to put the pencil down. You got to stop clicking. You stop, you know, you just have to think, okay, that's going to be the next book because a lot of you will never get your books done if you keep writing, writing, writing instead of getting into the editing and the publishing. And with that said, we're going to take our break with this is Barb Wilson.
is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Discover the power of you and your book at the Judith Bryles Unplugged events. Each summer, Judith Bryles Book Marketing Unplugged unfolds over three intensive days working with just Judith. You get publishing strategies, author and book platforms, book marketing panache and pizzazz, and authoring tools to take you and your book to rock star success. In the fall and winter, Judith Bryles Speaking Unplugged includes Judith as your coach and mentor during two powerful days. You will learn how to structure a speech, how to create openings and closings, how to find gigs that pay you and sell your books, and you will get one-on-one coaching. Go to thebookshepherd.com and click on the Events tab to learn how to participate at the next Unplugged Workshop event. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. All right, these this week and last week are part of what I wanted to really kick off um, the new year, 2024, uh, the year of the dragon it's going to be. So let's talk about getting some fire into your writing. And a really good editor will be that assistant, your right hand, maybe left hand too, for you in getting it there. As Barb has said many times, I've heard her say it, editors can fix every, anything but a blank page. So, Barb, one of the things I see authors get stuck with um, all the time is the drive to make that first draft perfect. And, um, oh. you know, that that actually is an oxymoron. The first draft yes. isn't perfect. You oh, know? the first draft is, no, never. I've never seen a first draft perfect, ever. And no. I'm including my work in that um authors are very good at knowing what they want to say they have an idea they want to convey in their head Mm -hmm. whether it's a plot whether it's nonfiction, it's information they want to impart to their audience uh if it's a story they want to tell i mean how many people out there don't have a pleasant memory when you say the words once upon a time and you know you're going to hear a story and it's it's going to capture your attention and amuse you and make you happy and make you feel nostalgic. Okay. Once upon a time, you've done the hard part. You've got the story written. Trust your editor. And editors here can be also very genre specific. I edit a lot of romances for my private clients. Um, I write romance, I prefer romance, but I also edit all different types of books. I've seen a lot of romantic suspense coming across my desk lately. I've also seen some inspirational, I want to say, tales 
that a person has either the character they created or the person themselves has overcome an obstacle. And who in today's world doesn't need that inspiration? I take their words and I use words to bring out the emotion, to bring out the structure of the story, maybe organize scenes a little bit differently, um, clean up the setting, make sure it's, it's terse and descriptive. And if there are any issues with characterization or with conveying what the author's trying to say, I will mark that passage and I will write a comment in the right margin using track changes in Word. And I will explain what I'm doing and why I think it needs to be changed. The clients always have the final say. Uh, there are some suggestions I will make, and Judith knows this very well. I will make a suggestion, and it's like it would really be better this way. And it's the author's call to say, no, I like it the way I wrote it, and we'll occasionally have discussions about it. But if they feel that strongly about it, okay, fine. It is their book, and they can win. But there are some things I will argue very hard not to take forward. No, this really does not work. This is not a good thing. This stops the reader right there. Um, one of my pet peeves is people trying to write in dialogue, either an accent or some type of a uh, vernacular that I think the reader is going to have problems understanding because I know as a reader and an editor, it stops me flat when I have to immediately stop reading and figure out what is being said. I had one client that used uh, huge words because she wanted to sound smart. That was her thing. She wanted to sound like she knew a lot of words and she was really well-educated and she used them incorrectly. So we had to go through and I had to have a rather delicate discussion with her about why are you doing this? Because, these words are not correct as you're using them. Well, they're they're big words and they mean that. No, they don't. They don't mean what you think they mean and they just, they sound foolish. Is that the intent of your story? Because are you trying to create a humorous? No, no, this is romantic suspense and it's got kidnapping in it. Yes, I know. Okay, so we, we had to go through that and that was part of my job and I did it. But Never forget, as an editor, there's a person on the other end of that pen, and they really want to tell the best story. And they're trusting you to take, as a client, they're coming to you as a professional and saying, you can make my story better. I trust you to do it. Now, Judith mentioned there's different types of editing. And the most involved and in-depth and encompassing edit is a content edit or a developmental edit. And this will get into everything, pacing, characterization, but there's also copy edits and proofreading that are done subsequent to the developmental editing. So we have a sequence of events here. We have the, the story or the tale being written. It goes through developmental editing. And I generally do two rounds three if needed with my clients. And then it goes to copy editing. And copy editing is more where the English teachers of the world come in. 
Okay, if you want to have an English teacher look at your book, use them for copy editing. But having said that, remember, there's still not a copy editor. They're an English teacher. Copy editing deals with mechanics, and they will catch things like grammar, voice tense. Are you in the correct tense for the entire book? Most books are written in either past tense or present tense. And you can write them in third person or first person. An example of third person would be, he did this, she did that, they walked here. First person present tense would be, I'm walking. It's all from your viewpoint. So there are some limitations around that. And a a good editor will be able to explain that to you. Some people, as readers, prefer only third-person past tense. And as an editor, it does give you additional opportunities for reflection and for conveying backstory without using info dumps. And that's, that's another thing we could get into for yet a third session on this. Um, there are ways to convey information to your readers so that they can more closely identify with the characters you're creating. And a really lazy way to do it, and any editor worth their salt is going to catch you on it, is when you tell the entire backstory in the first chapter. This is what happened, and Ma and Pa Kettle got married and had a zillion kids, and they lived in poverty. And then the real story starts at chapter two. No, that's a bad way to tell a story. Uh, you weave in those details in small disclosures through dialogue and through interaction with other characters and through inner thoughts. You don't do that in a huge disclosure in the beginning. And copy editors may not catch that because they'll be looking at the sentence structure. They'll be looking at the voice. They'll be looking at fine-tuning in terms of a a grammar sense. They will be probably editing to the requirements of the Chicago Manual of Style. They'll be looking at things like Oxford and series commas. They'll be looking at run-on sentences. They'll be looking at um, vague languages that you're, vague words that you're using, such as it to describe something. Although if your content editor is any good, she should have caught that already. Um, If you have awkward dialogue, a copy editor might point it out. Although, again, that's something that could have been pointed out by your developmental editor. And hopefully that's all cleaned up already. Um, Basically, a good rule is to say it's mechanics and grammar. It's uh, English class seventh period. And you're catching it. Your developmental editor should also catch any idioms that you're using well how does the sidewalk in august okay most people around the world would understand that and as we talked about last week um self-editing or self-editing self-publishing has opened up books to a potential global audience now if you're saying how does a firecracker in july maybe someone in another country might be able to understand what you mean but maybe they won't because they don't know what a firecracker is. And remember, in the Southern Hemisphere, July is actually the winter. 
So if someone in Australia picks your book up and decides to read it from Amazon, they might be like, wait, what? Who, what are you talking about here? Um, line editing, which is the same as copy editing, is where a copy editor is in charge of going through your story word by word, line by line, making sure all the punctuation is correct, making sure all the mechanics of writing are adhered to, and that anything wasn't missed by the developmental editor. Proofreading comes after the copy editing, and that is when someone like me or one of Judith's other staff, if you happen to be working with Judith's company, will sit down and verify that nothing was missed in the two other types of edits. Mm-hmm. And, and this will be, go ahead. I was going to say, and we, that first round, there's like two rounds of it. That first round is done, um, printed out. It, we, we're off the computer now. We're, we'll come back and make the changes on the computer. But I, I cannot stress to all of you how important it is to start reading your book like a book. Um, because you pick up different nuances. And once your book goes into layout, I'm telling you, it'll read even differently. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you, if your copy editors and your development editors have, have done a good job, you should have very little, if nothing, to find in the proofreading. Um, <laughs> and while we're talking about this types of editing, I'd like to touch just a bit on beta readers because that's kind of a thing now with uh, online fan bases and uh, the e-world being what it is. All right, you need to do Um, it in less than a minute. (laughs) Okay, I will do it in less than a minute. This is uh, when someone who is an author like Judith, who has a following, and they send out their book when they think it's ready to go. It may be a very rough copy. It's usually labeled as a beta reader. And this will be... Hear my friends, read my book and tell me what you think. And they give feedback to the author and sometimes it may result in substantive edits, but mm-hmm. more often it will result in go forward and publish. God bless you. Yeah, and it does. And with that, we're going to take our final break. But it's really important. This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Are you confused about publishing options? Do you know which printing option is best for your book? Does your stomach flip when you think about selling books? Or do you feel overwhelmed with what to do about book marketing and publicity? Get the answers and much more. Get them and from someone who knows publishing inside and out from both the traditional and independent sides how to make a successful book. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so. Or you can create a book that looks and feels classy, builds your brand and platform, and is a success. 
a bestseller. It is your choice. You choose. If you want author and publishing success, you want Judith Bryles as your book coach. Sign up for her weekly blogs and easing at thebookshepherd.com. The book shepherding concept is simple. The publishing world is changing, and so must you. You need an experienced shepherd and guide to collaborate with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. Publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You do not need more problems. You want solutions. Dr. Judith Riles will shepherd you through the maze and chaos. At times, she has had to step in and rescue a book. A book that has been sabotaged by a publisher, by a publishing service provider, and sometimes even by the author. If you want author and book success, connect with her today at thebookshepherd.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book... If you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. All right, our final quarter of the show with us is Barb Wilson of EditPartner.com. And we're really, she's really gone through a good uh, description of the three major types of editing, the developmental content, the copy editing, and then the proofing, the final deal. And also, um, we, we, have, we do that a combination in our offices where I call it the cold eye, where I have someone who has done this who has not seen the book before, I want them to really come in with fresh eyes. Um, because at this point, for you, I think you should be doing it too, as the author. But at this point, your brain is telling you it's what it's supposed to say. And it's not going to tell you if you've got a boo-boo going on. Okay, you're going to you're it's, yes. it's going to skip over. So this is really where you need fresh eyeballs in play. Um, oh, I, was, I could I not agree more, Judith. I could not agree more. We've talked about word blindness, and we know what it is, and we both had it. And mm-hmm. it's it, your brain knows the story it wants to tell, so it doesn't necessarily see what's on the page because it's filling in those blanks for you. Uh, and that's why editors make very poor editors on their own books. And it's also why I have my books edited by a completely different professional editor. Um, One of the reasons people tend not to use editors is the cost. Yes, we are professionals. We do this for a living and we are expensive. And if you're curious as to what good professional editing from qualified people would cost, I have a great resource for people who just want to check out the rates. This is published by the Editorial Freelancers Association, and this is updated annually. Um, The website is www. 
T-H-E-E-F-A.org. TheEFA.org. And there is a uh, subpage on there that will specifically give you rates for everything from coaching and consulting when you're in the very, very, very early stages of your book. Curriculum development, if you're doing um, textbooks, anything for schools, it will go into research and fact checking. It will go into ghostwriting, which is hideously expensive, by the way, so I wouldn't recommend it. Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah. Let me just say on ghostwriting, you better have a deep checkbook, you know. Oh, uh, absolutely. And, and, it be, and it may be you have really just an awesome story. You do. But it's just not writing's not your skill. And, you know, there is celebrities, by the way, don't write their books. There are ghosts involved. And sometimes part of the deal is the ghost's name goes on the book cover. But a lot of times it never does. But they have paid fifty, eighty, dollars $100,000 plus to get this done. Absolutely. You know, doing that. So, Barbara, and, uh, I need to have you go backwards on you were talking about um, I wanted to write down the organization, the .org you gave. Certainly. Yeah, the, you did say EFE? Is that what you said? EFE, Edward Frank Albert. It's EFA. the Editorial, That's yeah, Editorial Freelancers Association. Got it. All right. Yep. And they uh, actually list a rate page that includes median rates per hour and per word. And it will also tell you the median rate of work. Like, for instance, if you want um, medical developmental editing, and that mm -hmm. is a specific subgenre of developmental editing, mm -hmm. you can expect to pay uh, about $6,000 to $7,000 for a 100,000-page effort. And 100,000-word effort. Not paid. Or 100,000 word effort. I'm sorry. Yes, Judah. Thank you. And it comes down to about 61 to $70 an hour. Okay. So because e this is that cannot be EFA because that's the epilepsy.com. So it's referring. No, the the dash EFA.org. It's www. Dash EFA Edward Frank Albert dot org. So and you can go. Yeah, I get it totally. So everyone, they to use that as a resource. It's a you don't need the www, but you do need the in it dash. Yeah, yeah the dash EFA dot org, yeah. and it has uh, references for people that you want to hire that are qualified to help you. It's not the only resource out there, but one of the red flags of hiring an editor who may or may not be qualified, mostly not, would be someone who's willing to do a developmental edit on an 80,000 word manuscript for 500 bucks. No, warning, danger, go away, Will Robinson, that's not going to work. And, and I, will, I will tell you that my normal rate on a project like that would be around $2,400. And I do my work under contract. I have the executed contract and the cash deposit check in my hand. I have it, the check will clear the bank 
before I begin begin the work. Um, this is a business. I treat it like a business. It is not a handshake. It is not a, oh, yeah, I can do that for you. Kick me some money and we'll get started. And uh, during the break, Judith and I just happened to talk about uh, something that everyone should know about if they're thinking about publishing and publishing themselves. They're going to run into predators in the publishing business. They're out there. They're just like scammers. They will take your money and leave you heartbroken. And they're very good at what they do or they wouldn't continue to rename themselves and pop up in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, these these are companies that will say, oh, we're not accepting any more manuscripts right now, but go ahead and send it in and we'll take a look. And they'll get back to you within a period of time and say, oh, we were so blown away by this book. We've got, we'll make a, we'll make room in our schedule and we'll publish it for you. And it will only cost you this much. And they will name an exorbitant price and they will tell you they will do all the editing and all the cover design and they will print a specific number of copies for you. And that's where their involvement ends. They send you the copies, you have to market them, you have to get out and sell them, and it ends up being a dusty box in your garage with a big dollar sign taped to it mm-hmm. because it, the service may not be what you want. You have very little input on the editorial process, which is not how that should work. Um, I work closely with my clients, and they know they can call me and ask questions, and I will spend as much time as I need to on the phone with them to work through things or to mm-hmm. answer questions that they may have. And Judith is the same way. Judith cares very much about the people that work with her and she is available to counsel them when they make mistakes. And it, she is a straight shooter and will tell them, nah, this really isn't where you want to go with this. Those and, vanity and also, companies won't do that. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, so. Absolutely. And if if you're not sure that your manuscript is quite ready for anything, you think it's in the very rudimentary stages, pay for a manuscript assessment. Just don't do it at one of the vanity companies because odds are they will tell you it's ready to go. They care about getting money in their checking account. They don't really care about what kind of direct they're turning out. Their name's not really on it. Yours is. Exactly. I mean, they, they will actually, they'll, they'll tell you anything. As long as your credit card is still good, they will tell you anything. That's just my opinion. <laughs> oh, no, it's a very true one. And with the uh, upswing in AI content, oh, mm-hmm. my stars. Okay, uh, so let's kiss on that. We've got a couple of minutes left, and I think it's really important to talk about that. I was telling Barb also during the break that I was helping a client upload his new book onto Amazon. It was, it was like, oh, this is the best way to start my morning. It was the first thing, everything we did, it was immediately accepted, and we've already been notified by Amazon within 60 minutes that the book is live. I mean, is that kind of shocking? It is shocking for me is, is the years I've been doing on this. But one of the questions they ask as you're going through and you're uploading it, have you used artificial intelligence? 
because have you the, used artificial intelligence to write the book in the and creation they're serious yep. about that yeah and because the, there is the, well let me just finish the question before that barb is do you own the copyright and then it asks have you used artificial intelligence because if you have you don't own the copyright just saying everybody be careful here all right so let's yes. kiss on this we have two minutes to do what do we do here to get around um, because it's being promoted by everybody to use it oh my goodness um first don't that's the big one um, yeah, because yeah. I will warn you, as having worked for patent and trademark attorneys as a large chunk of my professional corporate life, mm -hmm. um, if you are found to be in violation of copyrights and trademarks and patents, damages are trouble. So if, if you, you sold 100 you, copies of the book, yeah, go ahead. If you, you, trouble if you will if owe you them filed. a lot of money. They are trebled if you file it with the copyright office. But if you didn't file with the copyright office, they are just kind of plain Jane. So just understand. That's why when your book is done, you have 90 days to get your your finished uh, book that, that you're publishing uploaded with the copyright office. Just saying. All right. So with that said, Barb, we're at the end of our time together. Happy New Year. Thank you so Happy much for you your too. tidbits of, um, of really always. solid information. So editing is important for all of you to review. Go back over, don't, don't publish your book without it. I'm just gonna say with it, that, all right. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank you so much. you for being a part of your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith bra